Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet, our president. Hello, Colleen, as always, a joy to be with you again. It's a joy to be here too, Father. And today we're talking about something a little different than usual. Um, A lot of our topics tend to focus on the United States or Canada in the case of our euthanasia episode. Um, And today we're going to be talking a little bit more about generally life issues all around the globe and what kind of struggles they're facing and then how Human Life International is meeting those issues that we have to meet. (laughs) Um, And so let's just start off with Europe. So what challenges do pro-lifers in Europe face right now? Sure. Well, uh, Colleen, if I I may just kind of step before we talk about each each region, Mm -hmm. just kind of look at the the overall picture. I mean, HLI has been engaged in, in the issues of life and family for 50 years. And, you know, in 1972, when Father Marx first began, it was called the Human Life Center. And then in 1981, became Human Life International. But so for 50 years, you know, HLI has been in this conversation, and not only in the United States and Canada, but, you know, throughout the world. And and I think what's important is for our audience to, to understand that the life and family issues are not just regional, that the impact upon life and family is really a global human issue. And that's why we should always be concerned. This is what I love about our Catholic faith is that, you know, when we, and like in the month of October, you know, traditionally, you know, especially in my lifetime was always considered the month of missions, you know, kind of where the church reflects on its missionary, you know, uh, character and, and reminds us of the work of the church universally. And I remember so often getting, especially as a kid, these audio cassettes. Now, much of our audience might not even know what a cassette is, but the idea is that it was oftentimes it was the voice of John Paul II speaking to the, us about the importance of missionary work. And, and, and I bring this up because really that is at the heart of, of Human Life International's work. It's mission. It's to be on a mission in support of what John Paul called the culture of life. And so whether we're looking at Europe, you know, Asia, Africa, Latin America, or the Americas themselves, uh, uh, particularly here in the United States, you know, it's a culture of life that we're talking about is try to advance. So, so I just want to kind of say that because I think it, so many times our, our, even our own donors and people who are familiar with HLI may not realize the long history of HLI. And, and I always love to quote, you know, John Paul II uh, in his conversation with Father Marx back in 1979. It was a lengthy conversation between John Paul and Father Marx. And what Father Marx was already seeing since 1972 and seeing what was happening not only in the States and in America itself, but what he was already learning globally, what he was already hearing and experiencing in his limited travels then. And he told John Paul, you know, if we don't intervene in, in, in this conversation then this is what's going to happen. Very prophetic. I talked about this before with you in a previous podcast, but it really, I like to reflect on it because like Paul VI reflecting in Humanae Vitae, that if we reject these goods, then this is the consequence that's going to happen. Of course, for him, he was speaking specifically about the issue of contraception and abortion uh, or what would happen as a result of that contraceptive mentality would lead to abortion and so forth. Well, this is what Father Marx shares with John Paul II. And John Paul pauses, and uh, uh, Father Marx, I've read a couple of things and his reflection on that moment saying, okay, did I say too much? Did I go too far? But then John Paul responds very beautifully to Father Marx about the global mission and says, if you take this message, the truth about life, the truth about marriage, the truth about human dignity and the respect that is owed to every person, then you will be doing the most important work on earth. And, and that is really what captures this conversation as we do today. So when we look at Europe, 
which is the first one you mentioned. Now, Europe is very similar to, to the United States in a sense of a Western mentality. So what we see in Europe is that abortion, uh, the issues of contraception, euthanasia, are things that have already been uh, very much entrenched in the mindset, uh, some of it imposed. If you get to Eastern Europe, where you would see from the, uh, from the influences of, uh, of communism, the, uh, the impact of their policies and procedures uh, concerning marriage and family have so impacted Eastern Europe, imposed upon them. And then if you get into Central Europe and Western Europe, they're very unique as well. I mean, Poland, for example, uh, that our audience would be very familiar with in 1993, you know, really reevaluated, changed our constitution and recognized the importance of defending human life. And, and Poland has been a great, great warrior in this cause and has been one of the single voices. Then Hungary joins in, you know, in 2012. So when you look at different regions, you have to really look at the, uh, the influence, the mindset. So you get Western into Ireland, into, you know, uh, Great Britain, into France, Spain, Portugal, uh, and, and that part, you know, the Netherlands. The, the issues that we're seeing in the States are very similar, they're not the same. Even sometimes more aggressive, like we see with the issues in the Netherlands regarding euthanasia, mm. now to the point where even young children, you know, uh, can choose uh, to end their lives or be assisted uh, to end their lives. So, so the assault on life is very, very real. And, and that's why, you know, then you get into, like I said, Central, and you see Poland and Hungary, and you see great work in Romania, you know, uh, many places that people read about but may not ever have a chance to visit. But you see in these parts where uh, the great advocacy is there. You see interventions happening. You know, uh, we, for example, in Hungary, you know, uh, especially since 2012, with what they call the Easter Constitution, uh, that you would see more advances in promoting life. You have a more openness uh, to seeing the value of protecting life and uh, and supporting the family and finding ways to uh, to nurture the family, foster family life. Always good for the common good, for the good of society, Colleen. And then, um, and again, Poland is still you know advocating. Poland is still fighting the great fight. Uh, and so uh, there's a. I think if we look at how do we approach Europe, it's just kind of HLI, it's how do we approach each region? And so we approach them differently because we have to know their history. We have to know what they're experiencing, what 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 brought them to the, the laws that they now have. You know, was it imposed? Like we see, in, as I mentioned, in Eastern Europe. Whereas in Ireland, they voted, you know, mm-hmm. to embrace uh, many of these intrinsic evils like abortion uh, and the same-sex uh, uh uh, relationship issue that we saw recently. So, th- so it wasn't a court that imposed it. It wasn't uh, a legal system. It wasn't a government. It was the people themselves, very, very sadly. So how do you approach now Ireland is very different than you would say what we're dealing with in Belarus or we're dealing with in the Ukraine or we're dealing with in other Eastern, what we call Eastern Bloc, you know, communities or countries. So uh, that's very important in the conversation. I would say that the when I look at both the U.S., I can look at Japan, I can look at Australia, I can look at New Zealand, what we call Western countries. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, it was like looking at Europe. So I, so I, I know we can maybe talk about some details if you wish, but I think the overall challenge in Europe, Colleen, is no different than here in the United States. We have to change mindsets. We have to change the framework, the way people respond. I mean, an example is we had a video that we did a few years ago on um, on uh, the uh, pretty much like in central to Eastern Europe. 
And there we were focusing in on what was the consequence of, of, of being have abortion and contraception imposed. Mm-hmm. And what we noticed was that even the, the mindset was so dire that the, the openness to children was, uh, was very closed. And even though we were watching things change in a positive way, but it wasn't changing in the number of children being welcomed. It wasn't changing in the mindset toward children. There was still this negative uh, mindset. And as we know, if we look at the, the number of children born to women of childbearing age in all of Europe, we know we are far below the replacement level. Mm-hmm. And so Europe as a whole is in a difficult moment of time. But because of its history and because of its deep Christian root, you know, the, there's opportunity in all these regions, you know, to reignite. But that's where, you know, HLI and, and, and those that it collaborates with and its affiliates, its directors and partners work together, you know, and, you know, and have strategies and goals to, to foster this mindset, to encourage it. And we've seen some very positive things. I mentioned two countries to us already, but they're not the only ones. I'm watching gradual increases in the number of children born to families. And that's a good sign. It's far from where it needs to be, Colleen, but it's, it's a sign of hope. It's just always a sign that there, there's people that are willing to, you know, to embrace the good and, and to welcome the good. And that's a good sign, you know. So because that, 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 that situation right now is very difficult. And then what are some of like the specific like policies that pro-abortion advocates have been advancing there? And then how would like how is Human Life International trying to meet that, like specifically in countries that we're expanding into? Right. So, I mean, as we know, the if we look at the, the governing bodies mm-hmm. that influence how people think and the policies and, and, and legal situations that we encounter globally. Mm-hmm. So we know that there are international bodies. So like the United Nations is a good example. What we see out of Geneva uh, in the Latin American community, and we'll talk a little bit later, but the Organization of American States. So these are international governing bodies that are influencing. So like the EU, you know, in the sense of, its, uh, of, of how these particular bodies that gather together with leaders and ambassadors from different countries representation coming to these international bodies and then together looking it was supposed to be at the common good how do we help each other flourish how do we promote human flourishing how do we promote that which is good for our societies but what we see within sadly within many of these governing bodies are very anti-life policies Mm -hmm. so that's where we put our first kind of you know stake in the ground so hli has been along with many other partners have been engaged in the on the in these bodies you know, in trying to influence, you know, by being active members of different committees or being part of subcommittees or having opportunities to meet with the various delegates, ambassadors, representatives, and really just talking about their policies or in some cases about a pending bill or a pending policy or a pending recommendation that's being made. And so by exposing it, talking about it, you know, uh, many times as we saw here in the States, uh, because these are lengthy documents, Many of them never read them or read only excerpts or executive summaries of them, so they don't get the whole picture. And many times what HLI has been very successful in doing is by exposing the document, what it really says, opens the eyes of those that are representing their countries. And say, Wait, we don't believe in that. We, we don't believe that should happen. And, and that's where you get the foot in the door. 
And we've been able to really uh, have some positive impact as a result of that, along with many of our partners, uh, because it's not a single entity that you know can accomplish this goal. It's working with others, collaborating with others of like mind and heart, and sharing those core principles that we're able to advance that. So, so working in those international governing bodies. The second way that we do this is, as we know, the levels of influence are from the executive level of a country. Mm-hmm. So. Um, just recently, you know, I was in uh, in Italy, mm-hmm. and I had a chance to meet with some um, uh, individuals who are uh, working uh, in a way with the new prime minister that, j- that was just elected, and and the new par- uh, and then the uh, the governing party now, if you will, mm-hmm. that are there. And it was great because to hear, but it was a chance to have a conversation. You know how HLI might be able, you know, to share its experience, its fifty years of uh, expertise, uh, its own experts in the field to be of assistance, advisory, counsel. So that's a level of influence. And I've done this many times. Personally, as a representative of HLI, I've spoken in Parliament in different countries. I've given uh, presentations to speak to the House in various countries. So that's a, that's a way of leveling influence. And it's been very, very fruitful because in many cases, because of HLI's history of being able to document and also uh, catalog what entities are out there and I know we're going to get to Africa, but I'll just toss a number out there. There are thousands of anti-life groups working in Africa, and so many people are unfamiliar with them. I mean, obviously, thousand, more than a thousand. Uh, we've calculated up to three thousand plus, and so they're in, at various levels of influence. But they're out there, and many times our, our church leaders, our civil leaders, have no idea who these people are. In many cases, they come in guised under charity, guised under assistance. And but then they bring with them their ideologies and their and their and their agendas, and that's the danger. So that would be across all regions. So that's but especially in Africa, we'll talk about that in a few moments. But so influencing those that influence others. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's been very good in Europe, similar to the United States, uh, in the sense of access, you know, to uh, professional groups working with doctors, you know, in healthcare legal, you know, uh, vocation, uh, those in the teaching fields. So these are also levels of influence, uh, working with uh, social media, being on television. You know, uh, I have found it easier to be invited to programs in other parts of the world than it is for me to be invited here in my own country. So it's an interesting thing. I've not been able to explain why, uh, but it's, um, it's just... A lot of times, you know, our leaders in other parts of the country and world, of the world, excuse me, will say to me, Father, we have a TV program that's going to air uh, next week and we, you're going to be on the program, which is wonderful because it's a voice, you know, or you're on some panel. So I have found that to be very much easier in Europe uh, and definitely easier in Africa, Asia, uh, and Latin America. They're more open, more receptive, uh, very much welcoming uh Sadly, as opposed to here, you have to really have some major inroads uh, with people. But that's a different conversation, Colleen. Well, let's go on to Africa then, because you were talking about it. So, like, what challenges are like? Does the pro life movement facing in Africa? I know you mentioned the three thousand plus right. organizations, and right. what else is going on there? Well, Africa is. You know, we've done a lot of writing on this because when you look at the world's um, natural resources, mm-hmm. you know, the various things that people depend on, and we take for granted. You know, where did all these resources come from? So some come from our own nation, come from our own uh, handiwork and from, from, the, from the, our own natural resources. But a lot of our resources come from abroad. Mm-hmm. And a good much, much of this comes out of Africa. And so what we see now 
is a number of groups working in Africa in order to have access, you know, to these resources. Mm-hmm. Now, to do that, you know, obviously you're bringing with you a, a tremendous amount of agenda uh, and sadly uh, some ideologies that come along with it. So you see major foundations working there. You see uh, major uh, uh, companies and corporations working there. And, and so what we also see are those international governing bodies. We see foreign agencies working there, USAID out of the United States, We'll see UK aid. You'll see many different groups working from different parts of the country, world bringing in, you know, so-called charity, you know, some things that are very much needed, which are very good things, you know, clean w- water, you know, malaria uh, nets, uh, you know, building homes, infrastructure, all things that are very, Colleen, very important. But sadly, what they also bring is what I've already mentioned are these agendas, these ideologies, uh, this exploitation, manipulation, you know, taking advantage of the lack of formation or education of local peoples and all with the intention of really just having inroads to have access to, uh, you know, to resources. Um, And so this is the danger in Africa, you know, uh, that is very vulnerable, you know, as a as a developing world uh, continent, you know, in many parts of Africa, as I've already just alluded to, they don't have clean water, very little infrastructure, lack of industrialization, lack of mechanizations and electrification, you know, so many areas in great need. And when there are people who are in need, you know, it's sadly very sad that others come in and exploit that need for their own ill gain. And that's what I've seen with my own eyes, you know. So in Africa, which is a very family oriented, very life loving culture, and, uh, you know, we know that much of the larger, uh, in a sense, when you look at what the UN publicizes and many organizations publicize on population, it looks at Africa because Africa, that there are more children born in Africa than in, in, uh, in India is another example where still children are being welcomed population-wise, depending on region. But Africa as a whole, Uganda, very much uh, still a strong, life-loving community. Children uh, are very much welcomed. Uh, and, and so what happens is these anti-life groups come in, and what they, uh, they want to do is publicize, you know, and push contraception mm-hmm. as an answer to poverty, which doesn't resolve their poverty, you know, at all. Doesn't change infrastructure. Doesn't change the structures that cause poverty. Doesn't change the corruption within government that causes issues of poverty. All they do is make large poor families into small poor families. So th- this is something that we deal with all the time and we have to confront. And, and so, so the issue that we see, this anti-life mentality is very much pushed upon the African continent. And it's a challenge mm-hmm. to really, uh, to one, how do we really help? You know, one of our directors out of Dar es Salaam, you know, our director in Dar es Salaam for our English-speaking work in Africa, Emil Hagamu, you know, just makes this famous quote, we don't need contraception, we don't need abortion, we don't need, you know, these anti-family, anti-life things at all. What we do need is clean water. What we do need, and he goes through the litany, and that's the truth. This is what is a need. Even Pope Benedict talks about this in Deus Caritas S. And, you know, and, and really we should have uh, condemned such agendas that go in and exploit the vulnerability. So as we expand in Africa, so expanded in Europe has a different expansion. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we, uh, the reason for expanding the network is so that we can further, you know, the, the culture of life, mm-hmm. so that we can bring the good news about life, 
about the respect that is owed to every human life, about the dignity and sacredness of marriage between man and woman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, open to the gift of human life and, and how to serve human life and how to protect it. You know, in Africa, this life-loving culture is there. And so I find it much easier in Africa, you know, to, to talk about this. People look at life. They, 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 they welcome children. They, they have a great respect for their elderly, for their sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there's a sense of a strong ethic toward mm-hmm. their neighbor. Now, don't misunderstand, you know, their struggles. Yeah. Their difficulties. There are lots of influences and there are lots of stories, you know, that, are, that reveal the difficulties. But its core really mm-hmm. is a lo- life-loving culture. So if that kind of culture is there, then what does HLI actually do there? Like, I know, is it more of resisting those organizations that are coming in? Or is it, I know that we also do work with mothers in crisis pregnancies. So there's a dual. Those are good points, you know, because, for example, go back to Europe. Mm -hmm. So right now, maybe the approach is a combination, a little more, you're dealing with such a strong movement that you're you're actually reacting to those movements. So Mm -hmm. the the, the push of euthanasia, you know, the, the aggressiveness of uh, of abortion, so you're reacting in, in in a way, trying to to foster a way of uh, of, of minimizing it, mitigating it, with the hope of eradicating it, of course. Whereas in Africa, you have that openness remains. It's been it's been influenced. So there, you more you have a little reactive, but you have a, a lot of proactive. So you're trying to uh, re, uh, and help people to to continue to embrace what they already know. To, to welcome that life-loving culture and life family, uh, the, the family life values they have, and to embrace it and not be afraid of it and not to, to, to allow the Western mindset, you know, to encroach upon their, their life-loving culture. It's like showing them why those things aren't good right. and like right. why contraception is actually a danger to this Right, mindset. exactly. And then with that, obviously, like I said, reacting to situations, meaning because abortion is there, because mm-hmm. you have groups like, you know, International Planned Parenthood, you have Marie Stopes International working there, you have Population Services International working there, you have many, many groups that are advocating for abortion and more than advocating are actually providing abortion legally and illegally across the continent. So you have to have a, a reactive component. So you have mm-hmm. to be able to get on the radio which we do, you know, uh, you know, you know, visit with civil and ecclesial leaders and address these issues. Uh, we just did this recently uh, in a bill that we've been fighting against. Now this is the third time. Uh, people can come to our website and see the details. We have been very successful in keeping another bill, you know, from imposing upon seven countries uh, uh, this uh, the legalization or at least the advancement of abortion rights, so-called rights to abortion. So this is the battleground. And mm-hmm. so pregnancy care centers are very important, you know, post-abortive care like we do in Nigeria, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Zimbabwe, where we have a very strong and have had a very strong, uh, you know, uh, you know, a pregnancy care center uh, there working within, you know, the country and, and advocating for families. We have a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of effort being made educating. So mm-hmm. we're with our priest seminarians uh, out of all of the all of the and i don't compare regions because you know i gotta be uh, as a i would say almost like a papa uh, a husband and wife uh, a mother and father you're proud of all of your children so 
all of the work that HLI is engaged in is, is wonderful. But the, what I see in Africa is that's really working uh, in that it's because of the efforts of so many for an HLI for over 30 years on that continent is the formation and education. You know, I'm thinking right of an example of uh, Father uh, Raphael Wanjohi uh, in, uh, in Kenya. Now, Father Wanjohi is now in the latter part of his life. You know, um, but for all of his life, he has been a strong advocate of education, Catholic education, founding a university, seminary rector, you know, working with HLI to uh, to promote Catholic principles on life and family, you know, natural family planning institutes, training of people in that, you know, working with the seminarians and priests, getting into those areas where he can form. And I remember one time, and I know I'm getting along on this part, but it's it's the idea of, um, I remember when I met, uh, this is now probably seven years ago at least, when I uh, met a number of his students. Some were lawyers, teachers, doctors, nurses, parliamentarians, and even a on our, what we can probably consider a clerk mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court. And I remember, you know, one of the justices telling me, about this one of the, this this young lawyer, he says, who's now himself a judge. I know today, uh, not on the Supreme Court level, but he's on the on their on their kind of their federal country level. He says, I would not want to be opposed to this man. He says, Father Juan Johi has prepared him so well for the battle. So this is what we're doing. We're mm-hmm. preparing people how to engage, how to to articulate truth mm-hmm. against falsifications of goods like marriage, human sexuality, children, and so forth. So we've had a, a great inroad uh, in Africa, and each region's different, Colleen. Mm-hmm. Francophone Africa, French-speaking part of Africa, English-speaking Africa, influenced by different mindsets, different you know ideologies at work, so different challenges. Mm-hmm. But I see Africa as a very, very important place uh, to place a, a, a good amount of our resource because this is where... If, if people around our own country look, mm-hmm. look at the uh, most of the African priests that are working in our country, where they obviously where they're coming from, yeah. you know, many of the sisters working in our in our charitable work charities around the world are coming from Africa, mm-hmm. um, very much like we see out of India and in Asia, which we'll talk about in a second. And then I think I'm trying to remember what exactly which countries it was, because by 2025, HLI wants to be in. Is it all of them south of the Sahara? Is Correct. that OK? Right. So we do have some we have some um, some effort above the mm-hmm. Sahara sub uh, Sahara area, and that's typically working at with the UN working mm-hmm. on international bodies because a lot of times we we have um, made inroads in that level of conversation, yeah. whereas on the ground we're still working you know a little bit in those areas, but we focused ourselves pretty much from the sub Sahara down. Do you know how many countries that is? Well, right now what we're dealing with is around we're actively working in, in around you know let's say you know twenty five to thirty you know in a relationship. Mm-hmm. We like to be in the 54, you know, you know, really to dominate the conversation in a sense of, of being present, boots on the ground mm-hmm. in, in each of the uh, each of the countries supporting the great cause for life. And what I love uh, about Africa is, again, um, the, the, the church is very young, very mm-hmm. vibrant, very active and uh, working with the bishops in the country and the continent of Africa have been so easy, so welcoming. They're they're so grateful for the assistance uh, that that we that people bring and we bring to the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very much are willing to share their resources, 
give access to, you know, to their dioceses and to their communities um, and just saying, you know, help us. Thank you. You know, and it's, it's, that's been a great joy. Mm-hmm. And but not just, you know, here, I mean, actively present. They they're present. They come. They participate. They're they're actively engaged in the conversation. And I and I think that's what has helped us to achieve many of the victories we've had. You know, in Africa, you know, as a whole. You know, it's still a battleground. It's very real, uh, and it's uh, it's very concerning uh, because uh, an example of that. You know, Colleen was HLI depends on the generosity of its donors. Mm-hmm. That's where our resources come and the grants that we're able to give to leaders around the world comes from the generosity of people. And, you know, but the anti-life side, you know, has millions, billions of dollars. And I see it. I mean, they they come in and they offer uh, money as incentive for people to come to their meetings. They put them up in the nicest five-star hotels. They give them brand new cars. They give them, you know, business accounts. And, you know, of course, an HLI is, is, is like David facing Goliath. But we face Goliath with, with trust and faith in Almighty God and trust in the resources that God provides. And, and despite the fact that we face Goliath, we have achieved great victories. And so... Because truth is on our side, so uh, and and I see that you know in, in our work in Africa, and it's a joy to work alongside you know such uh, wonderful people you know who are so dedicated and 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 have great difficulties you know in in their work because it's uh, it's hard for us in the West, especially here in the states, to really appreciate you know the difficulties in other regions of the world, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to our to to our own people, but you know uh, we we it's a different way of life. And, uh, and getting from an example of that would be, you know, for most of us, getting to the local clinic or hospital is not that far away. Uh, we can call 911, uh, uh, an ambulance will come, a fire truck will come, some PD, uh, you know, a paramedic is going to be on scene. But in many parts of the world, you know, in Africa and many other parts of the developing world, it might be 100 miles, 100 kilometers between you and the next hosp- the place of care. So it's a difficult life. And, and so when people come in and start offering all these incentives, it's an alluring thing. And, uh, and sometimes they fall victim to those ideologies. And, and I think our challenge is, is, to, is to keep, as, as, as what Pope Benedict said, John Paul and Pope Francis have said, we have to be there. And, and, and I, I see Africa as one of the places where we, we, we must spend and exhaust ourselves, mm-hmm. all the regions. But there is a great importance in Africa that is so needed because uh, they're very vulnerable, you know, to, to the West. And so it's a great challenge before us. But, but I love to see that my, my goal here by 2027, you know, I got a big goal, and that is to be and have a foot, you know, literally a footprint in each of the countries in, the sub, uh, in Africa from sub-Sahara down. Goal would be to get all the way up. But let's start there. Yeah. And then what about Asia? Just what is the current state of the pro-life movement there? And then again, how are we trying to <laughs> respond to it? Very, very much, Colleen, like, again, back to David and Goliath. I mean, yeah. Dr. Lagaya Acosta is our director, regional director for our work in Asia, Oceania. Mm-hmm. So what we mean by Asia, let's kind of get, yeah. get, get in here on a map. So we're talking about India, you know, Mongolia, all the way coming down, uh, you know, to now to Japan and then down into, you know, into the Philippines, into Australia, you know, uh, New Zealand. That whole area uh, is a vast, vast territory. And each with a very unique culture, each with unique experiences in history and, and the approaches to these issues involving life and family. 
mm-hmm. part of me. So it's a difficulty here is and one person, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say you, some, of those, some of those countries too, you don't have that christian root like you have in europe where it's like those countries have been christian for right. years and years you don't have that in japan right. you don't have that in and, i don't know the right, history well of- I, I will say that <laughs> and that's very true that's absolutely true but i will say sometimes that's easier it's true it has i have these my experience has been okay. is that it's been a little easier because you know unfortunately because in much of the west and they've rejected christianity rejected those principles and so they no longer hear them or, or welcome them Whereas in many other parts of the world, you know, uh, where maybe those principles are not as well known, they're much more receptive. So when I go through, uh, you know, just kind of basic principles in moral theology, it's so many questions. You know, they ask so many questions. You know, what are the origins of this? What does this mean? And you watch their eyes open and say, because now they connect dots. Oh, well, that makes sense why I... So there's there's kind of a, a usefulness to it, if I may use that way of phrasing it. There's an excitement. At the same time, it's scary because it it involves challenges. It involves a different change in way of life. But I've seen it, you know, um, and and I think the biggest challenge is with that, as you already mentioned, is because it's such a vast territory. Mm -hmm. And what we've done, though, is the same thing we've done everywhere else, is identify local leaders. Mm -hmm. This is what I love about our mission is that we don't go in and impose a leader. Mm -hmm. We identify someone already there, already working already given to themselves. And I've seen it in Malaysia. I've seen it in Mongolia, you know, and I've been to Mongolia. I've been to, I mean, I've been to 90 countries to represent HLI in its work. And, you know, and so I have been in some very remote parts of the world and, and to see such local people, you know, who have taken up the cause. Mm-hmm. And many times it was before ever, ever coming across HLI, they were doing their own work. You know, an example um, in Mongolia, uh, because of the religious there and, and the priests working there, that, uh, and because uh, the, they were working with so many of the, the poorer families, but they began to start teaching the beauty of, of marriage and the sacramental marriage and, the, and chastity and, and purity and, and fidelity that was already present, but they started building on that conversation and you started watching, you know, uh, these wonderful communities begin to flourish, and and the uh, the love of welcoming children, and and just wanting to live those those values, and and so that took time to nurture. And mm-hmm. having gone a few times, and now seeing with my own eyes the result of their work, and their patience, and their love, and their care, uh, and the people just being so so receptive. So, so much enjoying, you know, receiving that good news and being affirmed in, in how they're living that in a very difficult, you know, you know environment. And, and so I can say the same thing, you know, in other parts of Asia. I mean, uh, Dr. Lagaya and much of her team have been active in Hong Kong, Singapore, Macau, Japan. You know, we had one of our first marches for life ever in Japan, right before the COVID virus uh, issue. And mm-hmm. so we're hoping to re-engage that again in this upcoming year. So, but to see that and to have, you know, so many people show up, I forget how many thousands of people came. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and this is in Japan, you know, a very small Christian community, but it was not just the Catholics and Christians there. Many people came and what a wonderful testimony. Um, in Macau, historically, you know, the gateway into Asia, you know, and to see and having been in Macau and to work with local leaders there and, and to work with the religious and the, and, and, the, and the clergy and the civil leaders in fostering 
the value of family life and and challenging the anti-child mentality that has encroached upon so many people in our in our world and and to challenge that contraceptive mentality and to and to and to challenge don't be afraid you know of of, of children you know, great signs of, of it and so they'd be generous and and to see that 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 conversation being welcomed and then the questions that come forth as a result of what a great time! It's it's it's, it's it really is being a missionary. Yeah. You you going into new territories and uh, approaching people with a conversation they maybe have not considered in a very long time, especially in those very developed like Singapore, Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and financial districts and business yeah. districts, and you know very Western in yes. their mentality. Or getting into the heart of Tokyo and, and you know uh, in those areas very much again that Western mentality. Uh, but then just kind of come down. You know, you get into the into the Philippines, which is just uh, as people have known me well enough in this time is home away from home. But it's struggling. You know, it's it's really challenged right now by a Western mindset. And they're uh, very Catholic, right? That it's generally... five hundred years of Catholic faith there. Wow. And and so, but it is struggling. You know, you like any of the uh, any major city, mm-hmm. you got to step away from the city to really experience, you know, uh, the values in a sense of the cities are very much influenced by city life and city mentality, uh, very dehumanizing, you know, small apartments. I mean, uh, it's, uh, I just, you know, was in Europe uh, recently, I was in uh, parts of Italy, and I mean, I stayed in a small apartment. I'm thinking, how do you raise a family in, in such a small, you know, thousand square foot environment? You know, uh, two bedrooms, one bathroom, huh? no green space. You know, what? How, it can be done, but I'm thinking how difficult it is, you know. But this is what I see in, in many of the, of the cities. Manila is an example. I've been, uh, last time I was there, was I was told by local leaders that many of the new apartment complexes, and that it's not written on a piece of paper, but it's a mentality that's there that, you know, if you have under two children, you, you're welcome to, to come. And so you, you, you're thinking if this is an anti-child mentality, it's an anti-life mentality. And obviously to make that a reality is contraception, sterilization, and you know, manipulation of a natural good. And so, so we have to challenge those falsifications. And that's the challenge I think that's going on in the Philippines because it's, it's, it wants to grow. It want, and, and just like everywhere else in the world, Colleen, you want people to, to better themselves, to have a better environment, a better work opportunity, to better their lives, to have access to goods. You know, like we said about Africa, clean water, same thing in the Philippines, you know, access to good food, you know, all the good health care, education. These are all things. But to get there, there are others that are trying to manipulate and and mm-hmm. and promote false false goods not, not even goods falsify goods in order to get there and our challenge really is to say no this is not the way the that the the end doesn't justify the means here that you don't you don't sacrifice the good in order for something that is superficial mm-hmm. and so it's a real challenge uh, but but there's still again in the Philippines like other parts of, of the world there is still faith Mm-hmm. So, as you said, in, in those Christian cultures, in those Catholic cultures, there still is there's a root, mm-hmm. and and it's there. It's very clearly there. It's very visible, and you have to build on it. And yeah. but the challenge is the mindset, the 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 the, the media, the the whole social media industry, the the, the universities, they're all there, mm-hmm. you know, working in opposition to this. So it's a real challenge. And then obviously in Oceania, 
Australia and New Zealand are very different. I mean, they they very much are Western-minded uh, nations, and and so the mindset there is very difficult, very different. And are we planning on expanding into more countries in Asia as well? Absolutely. So. The goal, Colleen, is expand <laughs> everywhere, and and again, not for the sake of number, that, that, yeah, but for the sake of bringing forth the gospel of life. So to really be missionaries. And so absolutely expansion is all about the mission. It's all about bringing the good news. It's all about advancing the cause of life, advancing about the, the dignity of every human life. And so that's the real mission here. So in Asia, absolutely. And we're, we're doing that. And part of it is that we want to do is gradually move where there's adding what we call coordinators. So we have affiliates in 116 countries. So these are people who are actively working, you know, either uh, by receiving a grant from HLI or working in partnership with HLI, you know, or that we're collaborating with in different programs. And, you know, and we would love, and, and there's a director on each of the six continents. Uh, and then I'd like to see that change. I like to add 12, you know, and segment our, our global family. And so have more people actively working in smaller units, building more conversation, identifying new leaders, and, and so the same, I want that in everywhere. And so Asia, I think, just presents because, you know, Dr. Ligaya is stationed, she's Filipino, in Manila. And so obviously, Asia's of, Oceania is a vast territory. Yeah. But having someone specifically, you know, in the, uh, in, in maybe in, in India would be a great, because India is a, is, a, is a wonderful area, like Africa. It's got a lot of potential, and it has a. That's where most most of our Indian priests and religious that people see are coming from Kerala, Goa, coming from parts of Bangalore, Mumbai. So mm-hmm. we have to re- realize that's a we have to invest. So that's what I'm aiming for, and and so again, just more people in the conversation. The more people in the conversation, the more people will hear, and it influences so many more people. Well, and just from a practical side of things too, I think it's it seems like a good idea to get people who are already there because they already know the culture. They already know what things are actually going right. to make an impact. Cause my experience of knowing some Filipino priests and all of that is just like hearing that their culture is very different than what we have here in the United States. So even just sense of humor, the kind of jokes and all of that. Right. Um, we had a Filipino priest one time and yeah, it was just like, he loved cracking jokes. And then we found out later, it's like, it's a big part of their culture right. that it was kind of like offsetting at first. Like you start a joke with a, or start your homily with a joke. And we're like, Oh, okay. This is what we're doing. This is great. But like, I guess on the flip side of that, if you have that in that country, you have people that understand the culture and know how to relate and connect in a way. Very life loving, very joyful. I often say that you often will hear a Filipino before you see a Filipino, (laughs) the laughter, the joy, just there's, there's, and it's, and it's so attractive. It's, it's very, very, very uh, attractive. And I would say that of many of the places I've been around the world, it is. It's just something that it's, you, you're inviting people in. And if I may, it's similar when I speak to people about why did you think about being a, a priest or a religious almost 10 out of 10, you know, it's, it's actually definitely nine out of 10. It's the idea that, you know, uh, that people say it's because of the joy. Yeah. Sister was such a joyful, father was such a joyful person. There was such a joy that, that, that came from them. So there's attraction there. And, and I think that, you know, this is, again, what it, it means to live the gospel. When mm-hmm. we live the gospel of life, yeah. we're, we are a joyful and joyful-filled people. And, and that's what we got to really bring around. And, and that good news. It's good news to yeah. live the way that God wants us to live. But what you mentioned, if I may, is so when we are working with local leaders, Colleen, mm-hmm. it's also they know custom, mm-hmm. they know culture, they also know obviously language, 
and they're able to to uh, to and also understand how religion, how faith is lived and received. So it's all of that that you have to address and respect, and that's how you bring the good news in by understanding custom, understanding culture, understanding the way that people relate, you know, to each other in society, and understanding how their political environment and understanding their history mm-hmm. is all part of the way that you introduce the gospel of life. And uh, as, as I shared with you recently, not, and not go into any detail, but when you when you go back to Africa for a moment and you, you look at how the, 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 the Catholic Church was able to introduce Christianity in many parts of Africa was as always, has its difficulties, but they made very strong inroads very quickly because of a life-loving, a family-oriented, you know, culture that really respected life and loved life and valued family and valued children. So it, it made for easy ways to 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 introduce the, the, the Catholic principles in Christianity and for it to be welcomed. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in many, many parts of the world. So uh, it's it's an exciting place to be, um, but you know I, I know we have well, another another little region and, and and that would be of Latin America and yes. so and, and the Americas themselves um, it's a challenge right now uh, because I think if people have been watching the news uh, and and seeing that you know the prince the, the socialism has really taken hold you know throughout Latin America that I think uh, the uh, if not all of the leaders now from Mexico down have this mindset uh, that, that is there. And as a result, uh, we're seeing very strong Western uh, values in a sense of secularism. Uh, here again, very strong you know, Catholic Christian culture that, uh, that runs throughout South America, Central America, uh, in the Caribbean. Um, and to see the inroad that the, um, the West secularism and modernism has had um, and the introduction of very uh, anti-life values and, and uh, things that do not support family life uh, that have found a way into their politic, into their uh, procedures of, uh, of governance uh, is very concerning. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we have had tremendous success, you know, in advancing the culture of life. And the church does something very beautiful. The church works from a different point of view. So as I mentioned earlier, levels of influence, a lot of the things are being pushed down. So in the United States, abortion became legal in the United States because it was pushed upon the American people by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So in this, I, I, what I'm now turning to is how does a church work? Church works from the bottom up. Subsidiarity. There's our principle. And so by working within the very structure that God himself and the natural order of things, a very beautiful institution called marriage, the family. So here in this sacred environment, a natural institution, one man, one woman, open to the gift of of life, welcoming children, is where this whole fostering and nurturing of life begins. And so that's why John Paul called it the single cell. That's why the church teaches that it is the level, the cell of influence, because where does a child learn those values? Where does a child learn virtue, goodness, kindness, humility, all the things that are good, not only for the individual, but for the good of the society? So what we have found globally, 
but I've seen with my eyes working very successfully in Latin America is by working with, with those who influence couples, preparing for marriage, married couples, families. So our teachers, our, our healthcare workers, you know, those in the legal vocation, you know, obviously our religious, our priest. We have found through our Redis Vita, working with seminarians and with priests, supporting the church's teaching with them has been such inroads. And, and to see how the formation in these values then carries out into their local communities, into their rural communities, I've seen great, great uh, uh, influence. And I've watched, you know, dioceses you know, as a whole embrace the culture of life within their in integrating all of the things they do in catechesis, evangelization. Uh, we've had uh, a recent a seminarian who was then ordained a priest who, uh, uh, you know, some years later ordained a bishop. Now as an ordinary of a diocese and has brought all that he himself uh, loved in, in, in with HLI's work and, and, and helping support into his diocese. Now one of our team is actually going there in a few weeks to, to continue. So I, I, there's great inroads there. The challenge really is, Colleen, is how to keep the wolf outside. And, and it's, it's, again, like in Africa that we talked about, it's an alluring thing. When, when someone from the West comes in, offers all of these so-called goods, and uh, very much like uh, the evil one did with, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, you, here's this, you know, but doesn't tell you the whole story, doesn't give you the whole package. And, and so people, you know, need, you know, to have people like ourselves, and I don't mean that from a, a, van, a vain point of view, but they need people to give an opposite voice. They need to hear that there's, this is not good, there's false in here. So this is where we have to continue our work. And, and, and what I'm watching is through our education programs and modules, a great interest. People are hungry. They want to know what the church teaches. They want to know what, why these values are important. And then they want to know how to live them. Throughout Latin America, on the, posi- on the other side, is the strong you know, ethic of, 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 of care for neighbor. You know, the pregnancy care centers and network is tremendous throughout Latin America. Wow. Um, the advocacy you know, standing outside and witnessing on behalf of life and then giving the, the, the true path to life by saying to couples, we will walk with you, we'll help you. The very thing that we're seeing here in our own country and we're seeing in many parts of Europe, in Latin America, it's very strong. And that's a good sign. Uh, very passionate, very life-loving, very genuine people who are advocating for life. And I've seen it on the, on the, on the legal side, you know, obviously, we work with the Organization of American States, mm-hmm. uh, which again is an international governing body, out working with the uh, as this, uh, kind of with the with with the UN, mm-hmm. and so. But that's where the damage comes in. What countries is that? Is that so? It involves thirty five. You know, there's thirty five in total as of okay. right now. So, but it involves all of the countries that are participating in the OAS. So, uh, and they have ambassadors, they have representatives, very similar to what you see at the UN. But their focus is on the Latin American uh, region. And also there's another uh, called another region that involves Spain, Portugal. And so, so, but these are again where policies are discussed, where you see so-called rights, you know, uh, being discussed that, you know, abortion is a right. No, it's not. But, the, but you hear the language. 
And so you but see... Like, if they implement it, then that's the pushing down You'll see the pushing else. down. So it's a, it. it's a level of influence pushing down. So we have to do, like we do, is go in and address that language and, and say, and, and with others. So it's a partnership mm-hmm. with many other people who, like us, advocate for life and family. And you stick together, you unite, and you form these civil societies, you form these organizations to be able to have representation. Uh, and so it, it's, it's a process, but it's a very, very important work. So that's why the expansion is important. So, so you always say, where do you want to grow? Well, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Because what we need are people in every country, you know, and not just one, we need people in every country who are willing to, to give of themselves, to be leaders, to, to promote good formation and education in, this, in, the, in the bioethics, in the life and family uh, uh, teaching, and then to advocate for it, you know, to get out there and to be active, to be activists. So not only be, you know, forming and educating, but active in this conversation. And, to, and then to, be, to, to really be, uh, in a sense, uh, and I know we don't like to use this terminology in this current co- climate, but to really be an infection, to be something mm-hmm. that's contagious to others, that says, I want to be a part of that. I want to help with that. And this is what, you know, inspired Father Marks to, and what also inspired Father Marks inspired others. And so when he invested in their leadership, they in turn invested in others. And that's how you expand. So it's not about, you know, again, this for the sake of a territory, it really is about human flourishing. It's about human beings. It's about supporting human life and the beauty of human life. And and that's what this mission is all about. That's what our Lord does. He sends us out, right? Yeah. So this is what this is, is. So until these things are done away with, all the things that assault life, until we eradicate the culture of death, our mission will continue, and the mission to go out will continue, and the need for others to come. So I'm hoping that today, maybe our, our little conversation, you know, talking about HLI's, you know, work and efforts might inspire others, you know, to get involved. And if I may, Colleen, just uh, is is uh, just to remind people uh, of, of the great pioneers. And I know I'm going to miss someone. There are so many people that we owe in the United States that are many of people right now working in the pro-life cause and movement are, are, are we need to be grateful to, but men don't even know them. And I, I think it's important for us to remember our legacy. And Father Marx was part of that. Miss Nellie Gray with the March for Life. You know, Joe Scheidler, you know, is a name. Dr. Wilkie is a name. You know, uh, Judy Brown, who's still with us. Many of these that I already mentioned have gone to their reward, but Miss Judy is still with us. And, you know, and, and again, there's so many, many others, but I think we ought to pause and remember them because they're the ones that lit that spark. They, they, they ignited a fire because they were passionate about life. And, and that's what we have to pick up. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting, Colleen, to see people like you and others who are coming to this great cause, you know, and, and giving of yourselves to this great work. And I am privileged to meet these people, not just here in the States, but all over the world. And, and it's encouraging because it, 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 it's hope. Hope is ignited. Even as we face great difficulties and we face Goliath, it's very, and it can be very intimidated by their size and their influence and their power. But we know we, truth prevails, always does, and it always will. So that's what we've got to keep working toward. And we have to inspire others. And that's why this mission is what it is. It's about people. It's working with people, encouraging people, 
passionately walking alongside others and standing together in unity. And I would say that John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae talked about that, Mm -hmm. that we have to be united in an ethical cause. There's a great reason to be united right now. And right now in our own country, we have opportunity. It's before us. The West, in the sense of Europe, also sees it. There's opportunity there. Much good has been done. Even though much bad has been, been, been advanced, much good is there, and it's being advanced, and people see it. And the more that people like Poland, Hungary, and others can fight against what has been imposed upon them and make a different change, other people will do it. We just have to bring that message into others and help them to see if you can prevent it from happening, prevent it. Don't allow the serpent, the wolf in. Keep them out and fight for your families. And where it already is, then let's work together to, to expunge this, this great evil from, from our, our countries and our nations and really foster the real good, what is truly beautiful, and that's human life. So that's just my little thought, and hopefully, uh, it'll, it'll, hopefully this will spark someone else you know, to do the same thing. Well, thank you so much, Father. It was so good to just sit down and talk about it. I know we haven't really done a podcast on our mission before, so it was just nice to be able to sit down and kind of go over the whole world and what everyone needs. <laughs> um, and to all of our listeners on YouTube or Rumble, please remember to like, follow, and subscribe. And to all everyone listening on our audio platforms, please follow and share with your friends and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.